Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dear Asian Americans. It's been a few weeks and hope that you have been doing well, staying healthy as we enter uh, Thanksgiving week. So uh, great for, for you uh, for joining us, whether this is your first time or your own 132nd time as we are on 132. Really excited to share uh, this episode. Uh, it is Thanksgiving week. And as we think about the people that we are thankful for, um, really, it is uh, the people I think who make positive change for many, many others. And so uh, today my guest is uh, Army officer Kanwar Singh, uh, who is a technologist by day and a reserve army officer. And uh, you'll hear in the episode, um, he was able to provide uh, the opportunity for other people to get uh, religious accommodation. Uh, he is, you may have seen photos of him online or it was widely shared. Uh, for a while uh, to wear a turban um, as a part of his official U.S. Army uniform. So grateful for him uh, to be able to come on our show and to share his story. Uh, grateful to the U.S. Army uh, for uh, facilitating the interview. Uh, and as we go through the rest of the week, um, and as you spend time perhaps traveling uh, to see loved ones or to take pause from your busy work lives to uh give thanks and to think about what the last year, uh, perhaps the last year and a half, has meant for all of us uh, collectively and individually. I am so grateful that you are here with us. Uh, my name is Jerry Wan, your host of The Asian Americans. So grateful that you're able to join us uh, this week. We're going to get a double. So uh, come back on Friday, on Black Friday, as, as many of us uh, shop and to buy Christmas presents. We're going to be featuring a wonderful guest, a dear friend of mine, um, on the topic of money. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, without further ado, here now is my interview with Kanwar Singh. These are my views as a podcast participant. Uh, they do not reflect the official policy or position of the Massachusetts National Guard, Department of the Army, Department of Defense, Commonwealth of Massachusetts, or the United States government. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Asian Americans. And we hope you are staying safe and staying well. The guest today and I are recording this in the middle of August and obviously still concerning news about the rise of COVID cases, particularly amongst the unvaccinated with the Delta variant going around. So before anything, please take care of yourselves. Please continue to mask. Please continue to take precautions. We continue to hear the phrase post-COVID and that's certainly not true in certain parts of our country and in many parts of the world where we in our Asian American community still have friends and family. So take care of yourselves. Today's guest, I, I, I found him on the internet, as, as I do most of our guests, and found this story fascinating. And as you can judge by uh, this disclaimer that uh, Kanwar read uh, shortly before we started, um, he is a member of the United States Army and the uh, state of Ma the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, National Guard. And I'm so excited to hear his story. And so I don't want to give away any surprises or, or to give you any uh, headway, but welcome, Kanwar, to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Jerry. Thank you for asking. How are you? You know, it's good. We were sharing shortly before we started recording just sort of the, the, the history and the timeline of the show. And, you know, when, when we started going into the first wave of COVID, geez, 18 months ago, almost, it's like, man, you know, I, I hope by next summer we can meet some of our friends in person and, and then do some of these recordings face to face. But here we are still on the, in the digital world. You're sitting in Boston. I'm sitting, sitting here in Los Angeles and we get to have this amazing conversation without being in person. So I, I'm grateful for that. Really excited to hear your story. You are a, and if I get the titles and then the um, the formalities wrong, please correct me. I, I am not of military background, so I, I apologize before. And if I don't get this proper, but you are 
an officer of the United States Army. And upon commissioning, you made history as the first person to officially wear the turban, a, a very important part of your Sikh faith, instead of what would you call it otherwise? A, a, a cap or a or yeah. a um a patrol hat. So I, I will clarify. So uh, I, I was the first Sikh uh, to complete the officer commissioning process uh, with the new army regulations that were issued. Um, so Sikhs have actually served uh, in the U.S. military for over 100 years. Um, it was only in the 1980s uh, that the military had uh, a lot stricter grooming standards, uh, which prevented uh, new Sikhs uh, who were practicing the faith uh, from joining. Um, and, and so the folks who were already serving uh, were grandfathered in, uh, but for an entire generation, uh, over 30 years, uh, there were no Sikhs, uh, new Sikhs who were able to join uh, and be able to practice their faith. The military did make some exceptions uh, in, in the late 2000s, uh, especially for um, uh, the, an army uh, doctor, uh, an army dentist, and an army medic. There were three Sikhs who were able to join, but these were a very limited exception to policies. Uh, if you wanted to be a regular soldier like myself, uh, there was no process to get in. Um, so this is why I was honored with the opportunity um, to work with the military to make significant changes in the religious accommodation process that would allow not just myself, but hundreds, if not thousands, of practicing um, Sikhs, Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Jews, Buddhists, pagans, and, and folks of other faiths, uh, or no faith at all, to be able to get the uh, accommodations that they need. I think that's the most wonderful part of your story. I, I think when we talk about accommodations, when we talk about breakthrough stories or sort of being the first to do something, um, it is often in the context that it only helps the people like you, right? But as we know, particularly in America, the door opening process is not ever, in very, very rare cases, for a specific group of people. When you, as a representative of a community, opened the door previously closed, you're actually opening that for a whole lot of other people because that's at least the way that the system is supposed to work, right? And so fighting for believing in anti-racism is not the eradication of racism against a certain group of people or discrimination, rather. And so really excited to hear that. You're from Boston, and I think Boston and another sick person who's made news uh, recently for also being able to wear his turban as a part of his, I don't want to say his job, but it is Samrath Singh mm -hmm. uh, from Boston College, who is That's the first right. known D1 baseball player to be allowed to wear his turban while playing baseball, which I think is awesome because it is a part of your faith and, and something that I think the Constitution provides protection for. Ultimately, it's about inclusion, right? It, it allows not just, again, not young, sick boys and, and girls to be able to dream of doing these things, but other folks who, who might believe in these things. And so thanks for that. But let's get to know your origin story. You are a sick American. And so tell us about how you became the American part. When did you move here? How did you move here? And what were those circumstances like? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I uh, moved to the U.S. Uh, in 2007 uh, at the age of 17, and I started undergrad uh, in Virginia Commonwealth uh, University. And I was uh, always interested uh, in the military. I have some family history of military service. Uh, my grandfather, great-grandfather, uh, were both uh, in the military um, in this part of the Sikh Regiment uh, under the British uh, military. And uh, as Sikhs, uh, we are warriors, uh, right? Uh, this is part of our faith throughout our history where uh, we were persecuted. And so in order to defend ourselves, um, our gurus uh, encouraged us to uh, learn martial arts and be trained in self-defense and defense of others. And so this is a uh, legacy uh, that uh, the Sikh community has, and I wanted to continue. Um, so during college, 
I tried to uh, you know, consider the military and, and try joining, but I knew as a practicing Sikh, uh, I'd have to give up on my religious beliefs, uh, which I was not uh, okay with. Um, so I didn't consider much of it uh, until uh, the tragic attack that happened uh, in 2012 uh, against the Oak Creek uh, Sikh community. Um, there was uh, a, a white supremacist who ended up uh, attacking a Sikh place of worship uh, in August of uh, 2012. Uh, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Um, and I remember actually being at, uh, at our sick place of worship uh, in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, it seemed uh, that the world had changed around me. Um, you know, even before then, uh, being a sick American, uh, living in a post 9-11 America, there's certainly instances where I had to deal with um, racial slurs, right? And uh, folks, I guess, being intimidated or being uncomfortable around me. But it really, um, you know, hit close to home when that attack happened um, against the sick community. And that's when uh, the, a lot of Sikhs, uh, including myself, asked that question. Uh, what are we doing uh, to help better represent um, the Sikh community in America? And so a series of events happened after that. Uh, in 2014, uh, I, I decided to move to uh, Boston, Massachusetts from Richmond, Virginia, uh, primarily for uh, better educational and, and economic opportunities. Um, and I also wanted to uh, live in a bigger city. Uh, and so uh, Boston... Uh, fit the uh, the list of criteria that I was interested in. Um, and I have been here since then. Uh, but uh, when I moved to Boston, I had an amazing opportunity uh, to hear Senator John McCain speak um, at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, if you're familiar with Senator John McCain, and he uh, was certainly very patriotic and passionate about his own military service, um, including his time as a prisoner of war uh, in, in Vietnam. And he encouraged everyone in the audience uh, to consider serving uh, the military. And then uh, that same week, uh, right around the same time, I also attended uh, the first anniversary of the Boston bombings. And I knew uh, the Massachusetts National Guard had played a very incredible role uh, in responding uh, to the horrific attacks that had happened on that day. So right around that time, I, I made the decision that, hey, I was going to join the military because as an American, as a Sikh, um, if I'm able to join the military, if I can serve, not only will that continue my family's uh, legacy and history of military service, uh, but perhaps uh, it'll also encourage other Sikhs and folks of other religious backgrounds um, to consider, consider serving. Uh, I, I certainly knew how tough the process would be. I just didn't expect it would take me a long time. Um, so that journey started. I actually called uh, an Air Force recruiter because I was most interested in the Air Force Force. I wanted to fly planes. Uh, and, and we had a great conversation, but uh, the recruiter never called me back after he found out that I would need a religious accommodation, right? And I was a bit disappointed because I felt uh, as an American, uh, that was incorrect uh, on the recruiter's part to just give up on me um, and, um, you know, not consider me, uh, you know, to be uh, an air airman um, in the military, um, and then after that, I, I called the Army National Guard. And so the Army National Guard recruiter uh, was enthusiastic. He said, hey, um, do you have any um, you know, issues with picking up arms? I said, no, I'm a Sikh warrior. Uh, this is part of my job. This is what we do. He's like, all right, uh, I don't know how the religious accommodation process works, uh, but I'll work with you. Um, so uh, the person was extremely enthusiastic. Um, and uh, I actually invited him to my commissioning ceremony, and he gave me my first salute uh, because I was so thankful and grateful uh, for the fact that he didn't give up on me, and then he continued to go through the process, right? You also have to understand from a recruiter perspective, 
um, they don't like these complex cases uh, wherever you have to go get you know special exception to policy or accommodations because it makes their jobs you know harder. Uh, but my recruiter, um, uh, Sergeant For- then Sergeant Forest Class John Helbert, uh, who is a tremendous friend and and mentor and 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 a person of support, he's now a first sergeant um, in the United States Army. Uh, but you know he he never gave up on me, and I I, I certainly respect that. Uh, but you know we started the process in 2014. Uh, it took us uh, over two years for me to go attend uh, basic training. Uh, I did not uh, start basic training and finish it until uh, the summer of 2016. Uh, and so uh, during that process, during that time frame, uh, I was able to join. So I officially enlisted in the army uh, in uh, fall of 2015. I had to get a lot of uh, letters of uh, support. Uh, from several members of Congress, uh, so my my uh, Senate um, uh, my senators in Massachusetts uh, at the time, Senator Ed uh, Markey and Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, wrote letters. I know Senator John McCain's office uh, also was lobbying on my behalf, uh, and so we had a bipartisan push uh, from both Republicans and Democrats who said, "Hey, why are sick Americans not being allowed to serve uh, their their nation uh, while wearing uniform?" Um, but, um, you know, so I was, you know, somehow able to join, which I was still surprised that they would even let me officially join and enlist. Uh, because the thing is, once you enlist, uh, the moment you sign that dotted line, uh, you know, the military can order you to do things. And my biggest fear was that they may order me to cut my hair and shave. Uh, and so for your listeners, as a practicing Sikh, uh, we don't cut our hair or shave. We believe God's creation is perfect. Uh, we also keep our hair covered uh, in turban. Um, to show respect uh, to God uh, and people around us. Um, so uh, I was scared. I thought, hey, what's going to happen now, now that I've officially signed the dotted line? Because uh, theoretically, they can put you in jail for violating uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, so I was in this weird spot uh, where they would not let me attend uh, drills with my unit. Uh, so I was being asked to show up separately, and I was not issued any uniforms. Uh, and I was literally showing up and shredding paper uh, in the middle of the week. Um, so I was, I was separated and segregated from my unit uh, during that time. Uh, and then as, as the clock was ticking uh, and I, I had to go attend basic training in summer of 2016, I got pulled into a meeting uh, in April that year. And my commander uh, at the time, really nice person, he's like uh, Specialist Singh, I, I already know the answer to this question, uh, but I'm going to still ask you this. Would you be willing to cut your hair and shave so we can send you to basic training? And so as an American, uh, I was, uh, you know, certainly infuriated. But at the time, I showed my military customs and respects and courtesies to the officer. And I said, sir, um, with all due respect, uh, you know, in the military, we have our uniform. As a Sikh, I wear my own uniform, which is uh, my articles of faith, and I cannot remove them. Uh, for centuries, Sikhs have chosen to die um, instead of uh, getting removing our articles of faith, because uh, that's how important it is to us. Um, so um, I, I had a good uh, legal team that was representing me at the time, um, Sick Coalition and McDermott, Will and Emery. So I gave them a phone call after that meeting when I got home and I said, listen, this is what happened. And then they asked me to um, you know, visit them and, and I visited them two days later. And uh, next thing I know, uh, there was a lawsuit that had been filed uh, where I was the lead plaintiff uh, on that case. Um, and look, I'm not really proud of the fact that there was a lawsuit filed, uh, right? I was hoping that this could be solved uh, in non-adversarial manner. Uh, but I think all the options had been exhausted at that point. Um, and, and so that was the best course of action based on my team's determination. 
And that was really, really a weird situation, right? Because, uh, you know, I had, I had effectively sued my own employer uh, while I was still working at that organization, right? Uh, so I, I was a bit scared and I wasn't sure what the consequences were going to be. But the good news was we knew the case law was in our favor. Um, uh, Congress had passed uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, in the 90s, which prevented uh, the federal government from violating uh, people's religious beliefs. Um, and, and, and so certainly the U.S. Constitution uh, you know, also supports uh, the freedom of religion. So we knew we had a really good, uh, you know, strong case uh, if we ever went to trial. Uh, which thankfully it did not, because if it had, uh, that would have been a very, uh, you know, crazy experience for myself and uh, everyone else who was involved. Because look, uh, I, I had no one had ever trained me, uh, you know, to be on how to, uh, you know, stand trial and, and how do you go through a litigation process. Uh, but luckily, none of that happened. Uh, after the lawsuit was filed within a few weeks, uh, the army um, uh, backtracked. Uh, I remember I was at work. I got a voicemail message uh, from my uh, lead attorney, and I could not pick up her call. And I called her back later in the evening, and she's like, hey, guess what? Uh, you have a religious accommodation. Uh, congratulations. And I remember being in so much joy and happiness, uh, knowing that I could finally um, go attend basic training and become a soldier and then continue my path uh, to seek a commission uh, in the Army and become an officer. Um, so went through basic training in, in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, summer of 2016, uh, it was an amazing experience, uh, very stressful uh, for anyone who's done basic training. Uh, not a lot of sleep uh, and, and a lot of stress, but they really ensure that whoever becomes a soldier uh, can carry out the responsibilities uh, that are assigned to us. And after that, I became an officer when I came back uh, and, and went through officer commissioning process. What kind of conversations were ha had, if at all, with family back home? Because you left, again, for academic and professional opportunity to, to America. And here you were deciding to join the military, which in and of itself, potentially a topic of conversation. And there you were using, and you know, I, I noticed a little bit of hesitancy when you're talking about sort of the, the legal battle, but I think it's important for everybody to understand when we, were, when we are trying to change rules or systems, sometimes it is necessary to play by the rules uh, with which these systems are, are in place, right? And so if the only way for you to have gotten the accommodation was through the legal method, because that's just the way that the rules are written. We, we would prefer not to, right? But in, in a way, it's almost necessary, because that's how change is made, at least in, in our system. But were, were you having conversations with, with family and, and friends back home? And, and what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, at the time, my parents uh, were concerned, because they're like, listen, you cannot just sue the United States Army, uh, you know, the strongest military in the world. Uh, you know, this is going to be terrible for your career. You'll probably get kicked out of the military. What are you doing? And, uh, you know, as, as an American, I knew uh, that uh, the civil rights process uh, takes a long time. In fact, I, I was, um, you know, inspired uh, by folks like um, Congressman John Lewis, who I actually got to meet uh, later uh, in 2016, uh, and and other legends uh, from the civil rights movement. Uh, some of the listeners may be aware of the uh, Tuskegee, uh, Tuskegee Airmen uh, who were uh, segregated uh, from their white troops uh, during World War II, uh, and, and they did not receive the same treatment uh, as their fellow uh, pilots um, within the Army Air Corps. Uh, but they distinguished themselves uh, with valor and patriotism uh, and courage that they demonstrated um, during World War II. 
despite how they were treated. And so I never forgot that. And I knew uh, that uh, as an American, uh, you know, uh, religious freedoms are important to us. And, uh, you know, someone has to do this because I knew it wasn't just me who was being impacted. You know, there are folks of all different backgrounds, right, who are also being discriminated against uh, and not given uh, due process and religious accommodations uh, for sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was just moved to action. And, you know, there's, there's moments in life uh, where you feel like you're the right person at the right time. Um, and, and I just felt that way. Every morning I'd get up and I'd ask myself, right, what am I doing uh, to help improve our nation? And, and, and um, I, I saw this great opportunity to help, you know, push for religious accommodations because, you know, it wasn't just the military, right? I mean, any employer uh, could use that. Uh, and discriminate against um, Sikhs and other religious minorities because they could say, hey, if the military is not allowing you to serve, why as a local police department or a fire service or other protective services, why should I allow you to serve, right? And then the thing was, and, and, and still is sadly, uh, but you know, for those of us who look different uh, from the rest, we are somehow considered a threat uh, to society. Um, I, you know, I have a lot of uh, empathy right now for Asian Americans, specifically uh, folks of East Asian descent, uh, because of COVID-19 and what's happening, right? Uh, there has been an increase in hate crimes, uh, because somehow people, you know, believe that, you know, East Asians are, are, are causing a spike in COVID, which is certainly not the case, right? Um, and, and same thing happened right after 9-11, um, the Sikh community was targeted. I, I talked about Oak Creek, um, and the fact that our place of worship was attacked, uh, because somehow people mistook. Uh, and, and misunderstood us as being a threat to America, you know, that to me was something I was not okay with and something I was not comfortable with. So as an American, as a Sikh, I had to defend and fight for religious freedoms. Um, and, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. And, um, I, and I had to just, you know, uh, assuage my parents and, and ensure that uh, uh, they wouldn't get too you know, freaked out uh, and uh, they would be okay with me continuing down this path. And then we are grateful for that. For, for those of the listeners who, who may not be familiar with the uh, organization Sikh Coalition, it was actually started right after 9-11 to, to organize and to mobilize a community that was being wrongfully attacked on, on the heels of 9-11. And I always say, even if they got the religion right, it doesn't matter because we, we cannot blame an entire people, Correct. an entire religion, entire community for, for, for acts of a very, very select few people That's right. um, who happen to believe, right? And, and so, I mean, that goes for just about everything, right? In, in this country and in parts of the world that people generalize and then to target. But but I think, you know, it's important to even what you're doing uh, to help people understand or even just reconsider or even just think about what religious freedom means in this country. I, I think, to be frank, as somebody who at least was raised in the Christian faith, I think when you use that F word in, in terms of politics or just workplace, it often refers to one faith and the, the freedom of religion or the freedom of faith of, should apply to everybody. Right. And so I, I think it's critically important that, that you're doing it. I, I think it's actually amazing that you're doing all of this, particularly within the military system for a guy who wasn't born here, because a lot of the times for, for at least my friends and then people that I know who serve, it comes from a lot of things that we were taught as, as young folks or experiences or a lineage of people who serve within the military. For example, you know, I'm Korean American. And so back home, every man is required to do compulsory military service. And so that the term veteran has a different meaning. It's just almost a, uh, a rite of passage. But my father served and my grandfather served, but doesn't necessarily translate down to me wanting to serve, particularly in a country that I wasn't born in and, and that I still personally have a lot of complicated feelings over. But I, I think that is awesome. 
So tell us about sort of your, your, your dual path into your, the advancement of your military career, but also uh, you serve in the National Guard part of the, the branch. And so you, you still have a day job that you have to worry about and, and to uh, focus on. But tell us about what's happened in the last couple of years with, with, your, with your commissioning and uh, what that meant for you and then your family. Look, absolutely. And look, I'll also address the point you brought up, uh, Jerry, that look, uh, you know, I think America is not a perfect nation, right? But all of us uh, can do our part to make America better, uh, right? And our, our nation's motto, uh, e pluribus unum, out of many, we are one. Uh, that has always inspired me uh, because you don't have to look a certain way or have a certain religious belief uh, to be an American. And, and uh, this is what I remind my friends and colleagues, right? You know, just because someone looks different uh, doesn't mean uh, they're not American. Uh, we're all Americans. We all came to this country, unless you're Native American or, or unless you are descendants of slaves, uh, we are all immigrants uh, that came. And so we may speak different languages, we, we may look different, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we are all, uh, you know, proud Americans uh, and, and have an obligation uh, to make our country better um, so it works for all of us. And so... What happened after uh, I, I went through basic training and then eventually commissioned, by the way, officer candidate school was uh, basic training on steroids. I mean, I was, uh, and I was in the National Guard, right? So it wasn't like I was just doing a seven-week uh, OCS program. I, I did this over uh, 15 months. And so you would show up for the drill weekends and they would uh, you know, make you do push-ups and run around and you're planning con and you know, and by Sunday, and you're sleep deprived by Sunday evening, you'd be so exhausted, right? And your body's hurting uh, and you're tired. And uh, But then you got to, you know, go back to your uh, civilian job uh, or school, and then you got to do it again uh, in a few weeks. Uh, so the officer candidate school process was particularly tough. Uh, and I think we started with 35 people in the program. Uh, and then when, I, when we commissioned, uh, it was less than half of us were left. Um, and, and, and look, there were moments when I wanted to quit, uh, because, and that's their desire. They really, so they had a ring, uh, they had a bell that you could go ring, uh, and, and everything, all the stress that you're going through and the sleep deprivation and food control would all stop, uh, if you would just simply go ahead and, and ring that bell. And, and, and I, I, I will admit, uh, even though, you know, I'm a hard charging sick warrior, uh, there were moments, uh, when I wanted to go ring that bell because, you know what? It would be easier uh, to do that path, but uh, you know, in the off, in the OCS class, we were all tight knit and we supported each other. And um, you know, if, if one of my buddies was down, I would do my part to cheer them up, and they would do the same. So uh, it really was a team effort um, to ensure all of us went through and were successful. And and so uh, I commissioned. I had a great opportunity to uh, do it uh, on the USS Constitution in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my family and friends were there. Uh, and it was historic because uh, I, I became the first Sikh uh, to commission uh, after the military changed its grooming standards and allowed for religious accommodations uh, under AR 670-1. Uh, and, and it was a great, uh, you know, proud feeling. I, I, I remember being very emotional that day, uh, which is not what I expected, right? Because you're supposed to be a hard-charging soldier and as an officer. But I was emotional. And in fact, there's a picture uh, there was a reporter from WBUR, uh, Simon Rios, uh, and his team captured a picture of me uh, as, as my face uh, was looking towards the sky. And I was saying a quick prayer uh, and just being grateful to God uh, that, hey, I have persevered and I probably had the longest journey of anyone in my class uh, in, in officer candidate school um, to get to that point. 
Um, so since then, I, I you know I, I'm a signal officer. I, I serve in the Massachusetts National Guard uh, within the 26th Maneuver Enhancement Brigade. Uh, I've had great opportunities to lead soldiers. Uh, I've also been involved with the innovation team uh, within Massachusetts National Guard, and I've had to help out uh, and leverage my expertise uh, on with artificial artificial intelligence and 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 digital technologies and and help change uh, the culture uh, of the organization. And uh, you know, being in the National Guard is a challenge uh, because, you, as you mentioned, you also have a full-time job. So I, I have to you know juggle with that. Uh, but uh, it's something I signed up for, and you know, certainly there are days where you're like, man, I, I just don't have enough time in the day to deal with everything that I'm doing. Uh, but then you always remember your core values and why you signed up to do this. Um, so I like to think that my day job pays the bills, and I I, I serve in the military, not for the money, but certainly uh, for the pride and you know respect I have for our military and the uniform. Uh, and the opportunity uh, to lead our men and women. Man, I, I, I saw that photo. Um, I'm going to link it in the show notes for people who want to read the, the story. It's it's on the Army website. What was that like from a perspective of your your, your friends and, and brothers and sisters within the Sikh community? Um, I, I know you do it because, and you said you do it because you felt it was right as, as a personal decision, um, but whether sometimes we like it or not, we obviously represent far greater than our own personal persons. You purely based on, like you said, the articles of faith that you you cherish are, are very visible and you represent millions of people uh, who believe what you do and particularly large communities of, of sick folks here in the States. What, what did that mean for them? Have you had conversations at large about that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, you know, being a first of any community uh, is tough. I mean, I was reading about uh, Olympian Sunni Lee, uh, who is the first uh, Olympian from the uh, Hmong American community uh, to represent, but but also win, you know, gold medal uh, on behalf of uh, our nation. And and she has a very inspiring story, which I'll which I'll encourage uh, all your listeners to to learn more about. Um, but you know, there, there certainly is pressure, and and uh, because you know your actions uh, will now represent, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, what the entire community is, uh, you know, supposed to be and supposed to represent. And, and look, uh, you know, there are certain things that you know perhaps my peers were doing uh, that I knew I would, you know, could do right. So you know, if they're out there drinking and partying, and you know, I can't do that because guess what? If I get in trouble, uh, you know, the entire sick community is now. Uh, you know, labeled uh, as not being able to follow through on, um, you know, what we signed up for. So, um, you know, it certainly is a pressure, is a challenge, but I think the Sikh community and and, and uh, communities of faith, uh, uh, I think we're appreciative uh, and grateful for the fact that I was able to do this uh, and go through this process and it all worked out. Uh, and, and every single week I hear about people who are able to get religious accommodations, right? And I, just last week I heard about uh, a, a Norse pagan uh, who was able to get uh, a beard approved uh, in uniform. And he said, hey, sir, I, I want to thank you uh, because what you did made it easier for me to be able to practice my faith. Um, th- there's a Baptist woman who cut her hair uh, or, or was forced to cut her hair during basic training. And then she was crying. And I went up to her and I, I asked her, I'm like, why are you crying? And she said, hey, uh, as, as a Baptist woman, uh, I'm not supposed to cut my hair. And I helped her understand the religious accommodation process. Um, so perhaps she could work with her chaplain if she wanted, um, so she would not have to cut her hair uh, in the future. Uh, there's, uh, you know, uh, service members have reached out uh, with all different stories and examples where 
now it's become easier for them uh, to get religious accommodations. And at the end of the day, when I look back uh, and I reflect, uh, I am most grateful for that because it wasn't just about me, right? You know, I had other career opportunities, but the fact that I didn't quit, I didn't give up. And now that means that people uh, have religious accommodations uh, they wouldn't have otherwise is very gratifying. One final example I'll mention uh, is the military has now made it easier and has become more accommodative uh, of different hair textures and styles, uh, primarily for African-American women. I did not know that uh, the religious accommodation process that I would help change um, led to the military revamping uh, hairstyle and texture and grooming standards for African-American women. And so uh, the fact that you know, some, you know, our service members can, can now have a, a different and more inclusive grooming standards and it, it makes their life easier, uh, I am very privileged uh, and grateful uh, for having played a very small role uh, in making that happen. How cool is that, man? I, I think it's, you know, we, we talk about these sort of, you know, rings of change and, and rings of influence. It, it started with you. And obviously, in the immediate thought, it's like, cool. Now, now other six with, with turbans and, and with beards can get in. And now it's sort of blossomed into, as, as I said earlier, you opened that door for a whole lot of people, perhaps even more people than you originally thought. That's very, very cool. And that that is inspiring. Uh, as as we wrap here, um, I know this might be a, a big question. It's sort of what do you want your legacy to be? Not just as a military officer, but as somebody who is very proud and, and uh, strong in his Sikh faith, but just as Kanwar, what, what do you want people to remember you for? Well, I, I haven't thought through that part. Uh, I, I don't deal with you know these existential questions, uh, <laughs> so I don't really have anything meaningful to share. I will say this, though. Uh, I, I like to see our nation be uh, reflective of the people that we have. Uh, and, and that includes folks of all different backgrounds, right? So to the extent uh, we can recognize that uh, we have folks of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and races uh, who all uh, proudly uh, would fight and defend for our flag and, and our proud patriotic Americans. Uh, so if I can play a small role in pushing that, uh, I would be most grateful for, right? The thing that bothers me is when we somehow feel that folks who look different from us, uh, be it Blacks or Hispanics or um, Asian Americans, uh, South Asians, Native Americans, um, uh, any group, um, you know, Muslims, Jews, uh, pagans, etc. I mean, if anyone is being treated differently uh, because of uh, their appearance or religious beliefs, that really riles me up. Uh, and you know, I talked about uh, Congressman John Lewis, uh, who I had the privilege of meeting in 2016, and I remember having goosebumps uh, when I shook his hand. Um, uh, you know, sadly, uh, uh, Senator uh, or, or Congressman John Lewis died uh, last year, and he's a, he was a very short man. He was a very petite man, right? And I, I'm a tall guy, so I, I have a picture uh, of me standing next to him, and I'm leaning forwards, but I got to tell you, I had goosebumps when I was around him, right? Because you could feel that that presence uh, and, uh, you know, the amazing character and integrity and personal courage uh, that uh, Congressman John Lewis exhibited uh, during the civil, civil rights movement and afterwards, right? Uh, but he talked a lot about good trouble. And, and I always go back to that, that fact that as an American, it's our solemn obligation um, to get in good trouble. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when I see things happen that I disagree with, uh, I, I have two options, right? I can either walk away, 
which would be the typical thing to do uh, for most people. Or, uh, you know, you can get in good trouble and try to fix it and change it. And so I try to do that in my small ways, um, you know, that I can. And I think every listener and every American um, should do that and find ways to get in good trouble. And, you know, like we talked about, Jerry, right? I mean, I did not expect uh, the advocacy and lobbying that I did for religious accommodation would now help hundreds of thousands of people. And, and it has. So each one of us has the ability to make a difference uh, if we take the right actions and right steps and make a concerted effort uh, to make that happen. Good trouble indeed. And, and, and the more, in my opinion, the more diverse the group of people cause good trouble, it becomes this powerful force where everybody has no choice but to believe that it actually impacts all of us positively. As, as I said earlier, I, I think that the past few years, politically, socially, ha has given so many, including myself in our community, a lot of challenges and just rethinking and unlearning what this country means for me, what it means for my children, what it means for all of us. We, we choose to stay here and we choose to amplify our voice because like you, I believe that it can change and that, that the way that the rules are drawn in this country and the way that the systems are in place, it is possible to create the world that we want to see, uh, where everybody can be treated fairly for things that we are born with and things that we also choose to believe after we are born. And, and I think folks like you, who, who in your own way are, are creating change, not just for you, but again, for, for a whole lot of other people, indirectly and maybe even unintentionally so, serves as really, really a great inspiration for everybody to be reminded yet again that you don't need to be an activist with a loud platform, that you don't need to be a politician, that you don't need to be a founder of a movement or an organization to create impactful change that really hits at the core of who we are. And, and for many, many folks out there, it is your belief system. And so I appreciate you. I, I'd love to close out the, the show in, in the way that we always do, the a letter to our community the Asian American community, and then you can make it as specific or as broad as you'd like, Hanwar. But leave us with something. Um, and I know you said you don't think about existential legacy-based questions, but in this moment, based on you know what you've been through and, and what you are experiencing, leave us with something for younger folks or for uh, those of us continuing to struggle a lot or to be inclusive. Help us finish up the show um, and complete the letter, uh, Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans, uh, times right now may be tough. Uh, we've certainly seen an increase in hate crimes uh, over the past uh, 18 months uh, since COVID-19 started, uh, but stay optimistic. Uh, I, I, I do think uh, America is a wonderful nation. Uh, we may have some political struggles uh, from time to time, and uh, perhaps uh, we're not always as inclusive and diverse and uh, respectful as we should be of all our people. Uh, but in the future, you know, we'll certainly strive uh, to be there. And each one of us uh, has an amazing opportunity um, to make this country better. So if you see something uh, that's not right, uh, as, as Congressman John Lewis would say, um, step in and make a difference. And uh, you certainly uh, can have a lot of impact on a lot of people. Nothing but thanks, man. I found you on, on Instagram. Uh, I, I have to let folks know every time I, I go through one of these experiences where your response time was like almost instant. And I said, hey, do you want to come and share? He goes, Absolutely. And, and I think it's so cool that, that you've chosen to come on here on, on our show to share your story, because I think it also within our own community challenges two things, what Asian American means and what we're capable of. And so I, I appreciate you for making time today 
you're a busy, busy guy. And uh, I, I look forward to continuing to see you uh, in, in your both your professional and, and your military careers. And just as, as, a, as a brother, to continue to change the world positively so that my two kids and all of our children can live in, in a world and in a country that uh, we can be a little bit more proud of. And so I, I thank you for your service. I thank you for all that you've done and continue to do. Thank you, Jerry. It's been an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, great job with your podcast series and all the great work you do. Uh, so thank you for that. And uh, it's been an honor being here. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you uh, to Kenwar for sharing your story with us. Um, such an amazing story. I think um, just, yeah, I'm mean, just blown away by his uh, dedication, his positivity, and his desire to uh, make the world, uh, his world and our world, a much better place for us all. So uh, please connect with him on Instagram. It's Kenwar91. And on TikTok, you can find him at Sick Soldier. That's S-I-K-H, Soldier, on TikTok. And uh, engage with him there. Send him a note and let him know what you thought about the interview. Uh, thanks again to Kenwar for uh, joining us today. Uh, ever so grateful. Uh, follow us wherever you can on the internet. At the Asian Americans on Instagram is where you can find us. At Jerry J. Wan is where you can find me. Or you can learn about the work that I do at jerrywan.com. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been episode 132 of the Year Asian Americans. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Please stay safe and healthy. And don't forget to smile.